Welcome to Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. Join me, your host, Sam Wiles, as we discover the history, the music, and the man behind it all, Paul McCartney. To get in contact with the show, email us at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Hello, 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 goodbye, 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 and welcome to another episode of Paul or Nothing. Remember, this is widescreen podcasting and the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. I am, of course, your host, Sam Wiles, and I hope you're all well, safe, and sound. Folks, you all know that I will engineer any excuse to get Ken Michaels here on the show. He is my sensei, he's the master, he's a true role model, and his pretty damn regular appearances here on Paul or Nothing is something I hold very dear to my heart. Our album reviews have pretty much been a fixture of the 80s period of the whole podcast, and it's been so exciting exploring it with him and discussing all of it. And since we've completed that decade of Paul's career now, I thought it would be nice to try and make sense of it all. And who better to get on the show to help me do that than Sir Ken? And when I mentioned doing a show about the 80s to Ken, something immediately came up in the conversation, which was the idea of challenging and examining the the established conventions surrounding that decade. You know, was it a difficult decade at all? Why did people say it was so bad? Why did people say it was his worst decade with his worst songs? This needs to be addressed, you know? And I will admit, we are both coming into this episode with an agenda. Me and Mr. Michaels are going to be trying to convince you that everything you have heard about Paul in this 10-year span is at least partially bull. He didn't have any hits. Wrong. Only Tug of War and Flowers in the Dirt were good albums. Wrong. He only wrote silly love songs or lame pop songs and he didn't experiment then. Wrong. He didn't have any commercial success. Wrong. And so on and so on. It's all at least partly wrong. Please don't think of this as some nerdy session of us going, well, actually, over and over. No, the main goal here isn't to poo-poo people's perceptions and be really annoying. We do just really love this era of McCartney's music and we want to celebrate it. And we want to celebrate it with you and with more people in general. We want more people to be enjoying this music for the quality McCartney material that it is. And hopefully in doing so, we may just challenge the overall narrative that has befallen this decade. Anyway, nothing too complicated here, folks, despite that kind of lofty premise there. This was indeed a very laid-back conversation. Me and Ken were just doing our regular thing. You should know how we roll by now. We're just shooting the shit, and hopefully you'll learn a little and laugh a little along the way. Just as a quick point of admin, this was actually a swap cast of sorts, which was quite exciting. This was a joint venture between Paul or Nothing and Ken's own YouTube channel, which you can go to right now and watch the unedited video version of this conversation, as well as another exclusive chat I had with Ken a couple of weeks back for his Number 9 Dream series, where he interviews me about some of my favourite McCartney songs. Ken was indeed very kind to let me have this audio and 
to do this kind of swap cast thing but I definitely wanted this conversation to be on the podcast as well because it's definitely been leading up to that but Ken wanted to have the conversation as well so this is the best of both worlds we both get to spread this to our fans and hopefully there'll be a little bit of crossover somewhere links to Ken's YouTube channel as always will be down below and if any of you do indeed check it out Maybe leave a comment saying you have been sent from Paul or nothing. Let's spread the love, yeah? Though, before we can indeed cut to my wonderful conversation with Ken Michaels, we do indeed have the matter of the... Housekeeping! So, what do we have in terms of news today? Well, we did just have the release of a certain album called Three Imagined, or McCartney Three Reimagined, for some of you out there. However... I really can't talk about it too much right now, as just last night at the time of recording, I recorded my review episode with Dylan CV. Great episode, really can't wait for you to hear that. I don't think I'm under the same pressure to get that review out ASAP like I did with the original McCartney 3 with all that buzz, but I'll try and get it out reasonably swiftly. Keep your ear to the ground for that one. But besides that, I haven't heard anything else. Of course, folks, if there's any news I have missed, always do let me know uh, on the Twitter or via the email. And did someone say email? Yes, of course, get in contact with the show at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. I always love reading out your correspondence here on the show, especially your McCartney stories, your anecdotes, your trivia. Have you ever met the man? Have you been to any famous gigs? Is there a piece of factoid history that I have not gone through here on the show is there one of my reviews you want to challenge is there a song or album in the future you want to talk to me about maybe there's something I got wrong maybe you just want to say hi drop me an email at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com we do indeed have a quick email to read out today it's from one of our longest term Patreon patrons her name's Teresa Brader and she says hi Sam I have a McCartney story for you hope it's not too long In 2002, when Paul McCartney came to New Orleans to perform Freedom pre-game at the Super Bowl, my youngest brother was hired as the audio guy of a local two-man crew for Extra TV, a national entertainment news show. Their job was to help the producer who'd flown in from New York to get an interview with Paul. Of course, they weren't the only TV crew there, and all the crews wanted an interview with the man. The crews all waited in this tunnel that went onto the field for the performance. My brother was five feet away from Paul, but this wasn't the time for an interview. A different crew's interviewer hopped in front of Paul and started an introductory spiel before one of Paul's handlers yelled at the guy. My brother got the sense that Paul was ready and would have been happy to do the interview even so. In a post 9-11 world, security was super tight and the field was packed with secret service as well as the camera crews. After Paul's performance, he was being escorted away and the cameras were running after him. The extra TV producer was a fit former athlete and my brother and the camera guy kept up with him. My brother holding onto the cameraman's belt the whole way as they ran, telling himself no way was he going to miss this chance, even though he'd never been a Beatles fan. Not only was it his job, but he had to do it for his sister. Only one crew was ahead of them and either my brother or his friend the cameraman accidentally stepped on the other crew's tether. Because of this, the other the other crew's audio guy was not holding on to his cameraman and they were separated and lost the race. My brother's crew ran down the tunnel, beating out everyone else, the only crew to get an interview. I've looked for it online, but came up empty. 
The next day, my brother called me to tell me how he stuck a microphone in Paul McCartney's face. He was enthused over how nice Paul was. He didn't expect that and was happy to have his preconception changed. Another comment he made was that Paul McCartney was a little dude. My brother's perception of Paul's height may have arisen from a sloping tunnel or from my brother being 6'2". He's still not necessarily a Beatles fan, but because of this encounter, he's become more open to and appreciative of their music. Best wishes as always, Teresa. First of all, Teresa, thank you so much for that email. And no, of course, it wasn't too long. It was amazing. Oh, I, I, I love that. Your brother is an incredibly lucky dude to have that encounter. And clearly, he's also an awesome sibling all around, as it was indeed incredibly kind of him to seize the initiative like that and really push through the lactic acid pain in his legs that I'm sure he was feeling, even if... It was only to get a little story for you to tell in the future, you know. That really is quite adorable. Though, i got to say, if I'd have been there, I would have had no trouble in tying your brother's shoelaces together to make sure that I would have been the first interviewer to get to Paul. You know, you've got to do what you've got to do. Maybe someone out there can help Teresa find the extra TV entertainment news interview that Paul gave post-Super Bowl 2002. If someone could send that in, that would be extremely appreciated. I would love to see that, and I'm sure Teresa would as well. Anyway, terrific email there, Teresa. And of course, I do just want to take a quick second in this episode to thank you personally for being such a loyal Patreon patron. Your contributions are always felt and appreciated. And I've seen a few likes on the Patreon. I'm glad you've been enjoying all of the extra content as well. Don't be shy in future. If you've got any more erudite stories like that or opinions, I want to hear them. Peace and love, peace and love. And folks, if you want to be like Teresa and have your thoughts read out here on the show, drop us an email at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com for more day-to-day updates to keep in touch with the pulsing heart of the show. You can follow us on our Twitter, which is at McCartneyPod. You can check out our blog, our sister blog, for bonus Paul or Nothing content at paulmccartneypod.wordpress.com for, like I say, bonus Paul McCartney articles. Paul or Nothing in the written word if you can't get your fix here, you know? Follow us on the socials. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube simply by typing in Paul or Nothing or Paul McCartney Podcast. I do always like to mention now, do check out the YouTube from time to time if you can, as there will always be exclusive highlight content there for upcoming episodes, which is helpful if you're not part of the Patreon. It's a way for you to get at least a little taster of some upcoming Paul or Nothing content. Though I am still thinking about other things to do with the YouTube, you know, maybe things like listen parties, that kind of thing. I do want to experiment, so let me know if you've got any thoughts for the YouTube page as well, folks. Other things you can do if you want to help out the show, you can help right now in a way that takes less than 30 seconds by leaving a review for the show. Reviews help boost us in those algorithms. It helps give us that exposure that we need. Preferably a nice one. If you could say something nice about the show, give us whatever markation whether it's stars likes a score a percentage a thumbs up a thumbs down whatever it is please leave a review for paul or nothing if you can 
Though, if you want to help out the show more directly, if you want to help see the show grow, if you want to help pay for new equipment, keep the lights running, get guests on, get content to review, then please check out our Patreon page. Patreon is the platform by which you, the public, can support independent content creators such as myself by throwing a couple of dollars at my face down the internet every month. Though, it is not without reward in itself. I do need to point out that there is lots of bonus content that you get exclusively through the Paul or Nothing Patreon. You get episodes exclusively two days earlier than everyone else. You get access to all sorts of scripts and notes that I write for the episodes. You get raw, unedited audio whenever it's recorded. I find old, unedited audio from the vaults from years ago and upload that there as well. And you get access to full video podcasts that I record now on Zoom. Yes, you will get the audio fully produced podcast with, you know, these intros and the housekeeping, that kind of thing, two days before everyone else, which is really nice for your day-to-day outings. But if you go and check out the Patreon regularly, you will see that I am posting, as soon as these episodes are recorded, full unedited video podcasts that are unavailable anywhere else and with the rate that I'm recording them there is such a backlog and for example the one I've done with Alan Cozen is probably not going to be out for a couple of weeks now and you can listen to that right away if you kindly decide to become one of our Patreon patrons. I would also like to take this moment to thank the entire Patreon family, Teresa Brader included. I want to thank our latest patrons, Motti Ryber, Christian Perry and Richard Driver as well as Chris Atkinson, Richard Binnington, Mr. B, Stephanie Miller, Lou DiLonardo, Cheryl McCoy, Katrina S, Sam Hode, Anastasia L, Robert Carabelli, Warren Butson, Matt Phillips, and again, Teresa Breda once more time for luck. Folks, normally this is the part where I say I'm going to cut to me now, but like I say, this was actually done on Ken's side of the forest. You know, this was on his turf, as it were. So, yeah, Ken, take it away, my friend. Do your thing. Hi, folks. Welcome back to Ken Michaels Radio. Thanks to all of you for joining me here. I've been loving doing all these videos and interviews of people in the Beatles universe. And uh, you might recall a few shows back, we had our guest, who's our guest on today's show, Sam Wiles. Sam is the host of the Paul McCartney, solo Paul McCartney, podcast, Paul or Nothing. And even if you look at him now, um, he looks exactly the same as he did in our last video because he hasn't left his room since then. He's been waiting for us to do this second video. Uh, Actually, um, during that last time when we had him on for a number nine dream show, um, towards the end of the show, we just casually mentioned this idea about Paul being lost in the 80s and this narrative that's been going on for quite some time now. And I thought it would be a really good idea to bring that up as a show, to challenge that, or to get Sam's feedback on this particular period in Paul's life. I've been hearing quite a lot in recent years how Paul, after the Tug of War album, you know, he was really not putting out great material and nothing really strong again. He didn't find his footing. I think that's how they they like to phrase it, until Flowers in the Dirt and hooking up with Elvis Costello. Well, I'd like to get Sam's take on this, and you'll certainly get mine. And, and you know, I haven't even introduced you yet, Sam. <laughs> Welcome to 
Welcome to the video. Welcome to my uh, video channel. Thank you, Ken. Thank you for having me back on so soon. It is great to be here. Um, it's, I'm, you know what, I'm glad because this is a great topic, actually. You know, the 80s is a bit of a punchline for McCartney. Uh, and, you know, everyone seems to dog on the 80s. And it's one of those, it's one of the most commonly repeated opinions, really. It's one of those ones where I'm like, is this people's actual opinions or is this just the regurgitated uh, reviews of the rock journalism intelligentsia, you know? Yeah. Um, and now that I'm staring both barrels down at an off the ground episode, I thought, it, you know, I really need to clear my clear my head on the 80s and kind of, you know, contextualize it because it's very easy to look at the 70s because it's wings, you know. But mm. the 80s period, there's so much going on. It's all over the place. And I love all, all of it. Uh, and I don't see why it's uh, it's been ragged on the way it has. Obviously, as you know, Ken, my show's chronological. Mm. So I'll be going through all the albums one by one. And I was so scared for all of these 80s albums, except for Tug of War. Everyone loves Tug, Tug of War, like you say. But Pipes of Peace onwards, I was like, oh, God, here we go. It's going to get awful now. I'm going to have mm. to start being negative, and that's going to upset everyone. And then I listened to the album five or six times. I'm like, no, I love this. Next album. <laughs> oh, I love this one as well. Yeah. And then, you know, we get up to, to uh, Flowers in the Dirt, and I love that as well. A lot, a lot of it is down to your doing as well your influence shall we say but oh, thank you i'm glad you made me you know give these albums the, their, their fair shot you know hmm. well you know one of the positive things that i've noticed and i've said this a few times and i'll probably repeat it is with the birth of all these podcast shows and youtube channels and younger people hosting them like yourself you have a very different perspective on on the music than someone who grew up in the 60s or the 70s and you know the 70s uh, as I've said before, it was a period where, well, Paul was bouncing right off the Beatles. He mm. certainly had some problems with critics in the very beginning, but he was so commercially successful in the 70s. He had wings. He produced almost everything by himself. The 80s, however, was a period of transition. He no longer had wings anymore. He wasn't the sole producer on his albums. He wanted to move on and work with different producers. And so for a lot of people who were used to that McCartney sound of the 70s, that also meant adapting to change. And uh, the easiest thing was to accept George Martin. I mean, <laughs> you talk about someone who produced some of the greatest works ever, of course, with Paul and with the Beatles. And so there was a comfort level there. But what do you do after George Martin? That's the thing. So in general, before we discuss specific albums, do you think that the 80s deserves to be maligned the way that it has been or looked at as in between tug of war and flowers in the dirt that Paul deserves the bashing that he's gotten. And I must also admit that recently I'm noticing more respect being given to press to play, which mm -hmm. is a good thing for me. But in general, how do you feel about that? Uh, I feel it's, it, it's quite misplaced actually. I feel like seem to, want to dislike the 80s sound of Paul. Um, I mean, I don't get it. It doesn't make sense on paper. Like, if it was anyone else's career, he would have one of the top 50 80s careers of any solo artist, I imagine. He still did incredibly well. Mm -hmm. uh, he's he's a victim of his own success. You know, Wings, you got to compare it to the Beatles. 
and now in a weird, twisted world, people are now comparing his solo stuff to the Wings era, and it's like, who who would have imagined that in 72? You know, people looking upon that period favourably. Mm. Um, it's difficult, you know. I think a lot of its image, I don't think he was presented in terms of his visual image the best way in, in that decade, and I think a lot of that is what resonates with people, and that's what they remember, you know, wacky macker thumbs aloft and all <laughs> of that. But, you know... In, in this decade, we've got constant new albums and singles. We've got Club Sandwich taking off, which is probably one of the greatest fan publications ever. Like, I'm going through it going, you you lot did, didn't even know how lucky you were to have such a cool fanzine back then. Uh-huh. I don't have anything like that now. I, you know, I can go on Reddit and look at someone's blog post. Uh, then you've got Live Aid, you've got Prince's Trust, and then it, it ends with him returning to live concerts. Maybe people are a bit bitter that he wasn't touring on Tug of War and touring off Pipes of Peace and Press to Play. But, you know, he basically defined and redefined what the modern McCartney show was at the end of the 80s. And that's been unbroken for the last 30, 40 years now, you know? Yeah, which we've discussed before. And, you know, to me, it's kind of a sad thing because he's basically relying so heavily on his Beatles music. And nothing wrong with that. We all love the Beatles. To me, it's the greatest catalog ever. But, you know, if I had a catalog of Paul McCartney's post-Beatles, everything, wing solo, I'd be proud of it. And I would be, you know, more than happy to showcase a lot of that music in my, in my concerts. Um, such a difference between the 89-90 tour and the 76 tour. Even the 79 tour, where he was starting to add a few more Beatles songs, but not overdoing it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, how did you feel when you, as since you said you've been going through each album chronologically, how did you feel about McCartney 2? And actually at that time, because it was recorded the previous year, Wings was still in existence anyway. Mm-hmm. So when you listen back now to an album like McCartney 2, Amidst all this reappraisal of McCartney's DIY albums, too, how do you uh, look back at that? Was it a good start for the 80s for him? He comes out swinging with McCartney, too. Like, he proves right off the bat that not only is is what he's doing far more interesting when he's solo and it's far more adventurous and experimental, but... Again, not to sound too much like a McCartney three promo, but it does herald the eighties. You know, he does use a lot, a lot of synth and electronica, and go into mm. those very strange places. Um, my uh, my uh, co-host Tom always always talks about how coming up is basically just talking heads, and I'm like, yeah, I can't I can't particularly argue with that. Um, you're like, the first one that's that said that to me, and now I'm repeating it all the time because of you. I never true. thought of David Byrne when, when it comes to the studio recording of coming up now yeah. now i'm thinking that you may find yourself returning to pepperland yeah uh, <laughs> oh my god now um mccartney 2 is not only a highlight of the period it's a highlight of his discography you know i i'm not surprised if i see it in anyone's top five particularly um and you know th- this is going to be a running theme that throughout this decade people only ever talk about his pop stuff the good or the bad you know, we're only ever going to hear about Take It Away or Ebony and Ivory, you know. Mm. You're not going to hear about Frozen Japanese or Front Parlor or Secret Friend or all this incredibly esoteric, weird, out there stuff. Bogey music. Let's not talk about bogey music. 
No, I'm no. A, honestly, I'm a bogey wobble kind of guy. Okay, all right. You're even weirder than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> but no one talks about that, and it's like, oh, you, you, it's funny because, like, you know, it's the seven. It's well, it's seventy six when Silly Love Songs comes out, and that's his big, you know, yeah, I do Silly Love Songs, whatever. Ooh, that's fine, but it seems like the eighties is actually the period where that opinion is solidified and. You know, it's it's proliferated massively the idea that Paul is this soft core, wet drip, lame duck kind of guy. Hmm. And yet we've got so much experimental stuff in this period. We're going to get to it on every single album. Why isn't Check My My Machine talked about more? I mean, Paul talks about it now. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, I love this album. Yeah, it's great. McConaughey is so good. You said something a few moments ago that resonates with me, boy, that Paul is more experimental when he's solo as opposed to being in a band. Mm. Of course, you could have a huge debate if you're talking about the Beatles there, but I kind of agree with you that, and, and much of what I'm thinking was so heavily influenced by what John Lennon said in an interview in 1971, where you look at the limitations of being in a band and everything has to fit into some kind of a format. Mm. And, and I love Wings. I think Wings was exciting for me uh, in many ways, partly because they went through so many personnel changes. It kept it interesting, but at the same time frustrating because he couldn't stick with the same five, five members for long enough to see it reach its full fruition. Mm. Although it's debatable with 76 with the tour and all. But I do think that on his own, he has so much more freedom and he does whatever he wants. And I like that about him. Mm. You know, uh, I tend to favor and I love a lot of 70s stuff. Don't get me wrong. I tend to favor him more when he doesn't have a band. Mm. And even in the last 20 years with this, this touring band that he's had, they've been on his albums, but I don't think of them the same way as I would a Wings album. No, I don't think any of the touring band write parts or anything. It's just Paul going, so you're going to do this bit and you're going to do that bit and then we're going to rock out, guys. Well, you know? we'll see. You know, they could add something musically on guitars and drums and all that. They could be doing that. But there's no Denny Lane there writing songs. Mm. There's no Jimmy McCulloch in there contributing a song here or there. And they don't do those songs live. You know, whatever, Rusty or, mm. you know, they didn't contribute songs of their own. On a McCartney album, and they've anyway, got solo categories that they could add to a McCartney show in theory. Mm, you know, that's so. true. That's true. But definitely, when Tug of War came out, everybody was praising it. But this was the album that Paul had to make following John's death, and I really think he delivered the goods there. And I don't know anyone that really would challenge this. You know, um, do you, except maybe you. <laughs> Based <laughs> I on the, the challenge. Look. <laughs> Um, that look on your face, but again, I come at these with as as little expectations as possible. I try and go in blind, but I was assaulted by oh my god, tug of war, man! It's the it's you know it's the revival, it's the return to form, the phrase that everyone says, hmm. and that that only works if you disliked later era Wings or if you disliked McCartney too. And since I didn't have any of that. Since I wasn't beat, you know, I wasn't beaten up at school for wearing a check my machine shirt or anything like that. I've got no negative connotations. It was just album I like, album I like, tug of war. It's another album I like. Uh-huh. And since the the effect wasn't as potent on me, I don't see it as this nine out of ten, ten out of ten, 
masterpiece that everyone sees. There's there's some lows on there. Not saying it's ebony and ivory. Don't assume that. I'm not uh, assuming. It, it's just not <laughs> as consistent, and uh, I, I think it's a little overrated. Um, but number one. US, UK, Germany, Japan, Netherlands, Switzerland, Norway. Can't be ignored, can it? That It is a success, undeniably. Well, I consider it a perfect album. Perfect so that's Perfect. It's a 10. It's a 10. But then McCartney has like 10 tens, in my, as far as I'm concerned, in his catalog. So, you know, it's very hard sometimes to just say, obviously, this album is better, you know. What's better, Tug of War or Flaming Pie or something like that or Chaos and Creation or Flowers in the Dirt? They're all mm. great to me. And uh, sometimes it's really, it, it's tough just to say what the best is. And that could change over time anyway. But um, no, I definitely think Tug of War is just so meticulously produced and all the songs really work. Um, I love when Paul teamed up with Stevie Wonder and What's, what's That You're Doing is a yes. great funky track. You know, what's weak on the album? I mean, maybe be what you see if you don't really need it. <laughs> but um, even if you think that, uh, I don't know, Get It with Carl Perkins is one of the weaker tracks. I love that song. The, when, the, when what you consider to be maybe the weakest songs you still love, that's a great album. Oh, I totally agree with that. And I've ju I'll, I'll just flick through the uh, track listing now. And I don't know exactly what I'd take out to fit on. I'll give you a ring, but... It's one of those albums where I listen to the whole thing. I don't particularly take a lot of individual tracks off it, except maybe ballroom dancing. But I'll, most <laughs> most time, if I'm listening to Tug of War, it's just the you know the whole way through, not uh -huh. not through playlists or anything like that. Um, I don't know. There's just something about it that I feel like I'm not getting about it. Maybe maybe there's, there is just something I'm missing. I mean. I actually quite like the uh, Carl Perkins collab. Uh, mm -hmm. It also makes sense in, in the sense of like the 30-year pop culture cycle. You know, the 50s was actually quite hip and swinging in, in the 80s. That's what was, you know, in some parts of the world. And maybe he was trying to ride that. Who knows? Maybe let's give Paul the benefit of the doubt there. Hmm. But this is the first solo McCartney album. This is how all of his, you know, catalogue is going to be kind of structured for the rest of his career. This kind of... Uh, you know how um, Red Rose Speedway was like meant to be something for everyone. Well, this is that kind of done right in that in that sense. Hmm. Um, but it, it, there's there's a lot more going on, I'd say, than perhaps meets the eye. Just like little things, I guess. Like you know, at the start of the title track, you've got that weird little ambient uh, kind of diegetic right. background noise. That's like straight up tug of peace stuff on the next album. Uh -huh. You know, to me, there's a there's a definite through line there. Yeah, it is a great album. Uh, obviously, if I'm purely just de you know defending McCartney in the eighties, then I'll say, yeah, fantastic album. It's really good. Everyone needs to go out there and listen to it. If I'm discussing it within the context of the wider McCartney discography, I don't have much of an emotional connection with it. I guess is what I'll say outside of like here today. Mm. Nothing else really like makes me weep or smile or anything like that. You know, ballroom dancing gets 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 me jiving, but uh, this is this is definitely the one where I'm just like, no, this was the big popular one. I'm I'm happy with that. I'm happy that it exists in the catalogue, but uh, I think I think it's okay. Love ebony and ivory. Uh, love ebony and ivory though. Worldwide number one single. I don't know where sure. it wasn't a number one. You can't take that away from Paul either, can you? Yeah, 
Well, for me, I mean, songs like Ballroom Dancing and Take It Away and Here Today and Ebony and Ivory and Wanderlust and Tug of War. Those are among, you know, the finest of his solo career. Mm. I, there are certain times when you really sense he put the effort in. And this is one where I think everything was carefully chosen mm. as the material, because as you know, some of what was on Pipes of Peace was recorded at the same time. So he could have picked some of those. But um, no, nah, it's, it's definitely what I would call a perfect album. But, you know, we can disagree. That's cool. Uh, and I know that you like Pipes of Peace more, right, than Tug of War? Yeah. Um, I mean, the public and the critics all love Tug of War. That is totally fine. However, Pipes of Peace is seen to be this, like, runt of the litter, the, the you know, the lesser, weaker sibling. You know, yeah. oh, it was just compiled out of the lesser tracks that didn't make it onto the good album. And and I've I've never seen it that way. Uh, again, being a bit of a contrarian hipster in my own way, that that is my own thing. But, you know, I feel like it doesn't get the same kudos for including George Mine. It doesn't get the same kudos for its all-star lineup, you know, because those were done on Tug of War first. So no one ever mentions that. Hmm. And then I think, you know, for, for, for Paul to go out there against Eurythmics and The Police and R.E.M. and Heavy Metal with this album of silly little love songs and soft pop tunes. He's actually quite brave. And, you know, in the decade of excess and drugs and sex, to be squeaky clean family man must have been a nightmare for his marketing department. And, and he's just like, no, this is who I am. This is what I'm doing. I think that's quite brave. So you're saying in the 70s, there was no excess of sex and drugs and all that? <laughs> in the I 80s, there was. Um, you know what? I'm, I'm, most of my knowledge, knowledge of America in the 80s does come from Wall Street, that Michael Douglas movie. Okay. So. All right. <laughs> I guess that was a big influence on you. But uh, yeah, I mean, Pipes of Peace, I don't think deserves the, the big criticism it's gotten. I think Side One is, is excellent, really. All five songs on Side One. And, and Side Two so subversive as well, you know. Uh, tug of peace and hey hey that's a mm. great little out there mccartney 2-esque little uh detour isn't it that's a great way of looking at it too you know there are times when i start to think that between the man which i think should have definitely been the second single um mm. and through our love which i think is one of his greatest love songs of all time yeah. it's uh, somewhat filler in between but at the same time, I love Hey Hey a mm -hmm. lot, enough to make that the song that I use as my theme on every little thing. Kicks off the show, ends the show. Um, I think that's a great instrumental. And uh, my son, who's a musician who hears everything on a record um, and plays drums, has told me how much Tug of Peace is really an interesting track in terms of all the percussive stuff that's going on there. Mm -hmm. So there's different reasons that you can like a particular song. You can hear things in the music that other people may not hear. Mm -hmm. You know, it shouldn't always be based on lyrics and melodies. And, you know, um, and Paul is so much the master of melodies and very structured songs. And then when he does something a little bit different, you know, or experimental or crazy, some people don't, don't care for that, mm -hmm. you know, but... Uh, no, Pipes of Peace is, is definitely a, a very good album, but it also falls under, you know, the, the same problem that you, you release a great album. I, I know you, you think Tug of War may not be 
perfect like I do. And you, you follow it with that the same way that some people may not look at Venus and Mars as being as strong as Band on the Run. Yet there are a lot of people that like Venus and Mars more that I've come I into. I think there's more now. I think it's, it's outstripping Band on the Run now. I've seen a, I've seen a few polls now. Yeah. Uh, where Venus and Mars, just 10% of all people prefer it, you know? Mm. Could, mean, also, when... could also be Band on the Run fatigue. <laughs> yeah, like how many more times... Can you hear the title track and Jet and Let Me Roll It? You know, mm. let's, let's mix it up with a little bit of letting go and you give me the answer, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. But Pipes of Peace overall, you know, you were just saying that you kind of, you know, you like all these albums, but you don't compare too much between albums. Um, what do you mean? Sorry. Like compare. Like, I mean, comparing pipes of peace to tug of war or oh no i love needlessly comparing stuff uh, <laughs> <and> <laughs> no I've, i think i think that the 80s period is a lot more consistent than i think he's given credit for that's one of the big uh, things we've got to, we've got to talk about here mm. um e- even in, in in terms of singles you know uh, they haven't they're not uh, in in terms of commercial success but i think all of the singles he chooses here in this decade are really good we get that on this album, uh, Pops to Peace, num- number one UK single, Say, Say, Say. What mm. have we got here? US, Canada, and Norway, number one there as well. I think it was number two over here. I think it, it is successful both objectively and subjectively. It's just people don't seem to like it as much as Tug of War, and, and that is fine. Mm. But again, whilst people talk about, you know, Paul's chasing... Contemporary sounds, we're, we're going to have this a lot with Phil Ramone and Hugh Padgham and stuff. Mm-hmm. But with Pipes of Peace, it's just the core melodies. And, you know, he's playing the, the long game that outlasts all of that contemporaneous 80s stuff. And I think it I think it actually stands the test of time far better than, like, you know, something like Tainted Love, you know? <laughs> That's where we disagree. <laughs> I don't, I don't uh, consider the, the 80s stuff, you know, uh, I've said this before, but whether or not uh, people think certain music is dated has no effect on me. And, you know, I'm constantly hearing new music that sounds 80s-ish anyway. So I think um, some of the people that say that that sound is dated are people that may not have liked it in the first place. So this is their excuse now to say that it sounds dated. But, Mm, you know, if you try to listen to some of today's new music, and I try, I'm certainly not an expert on today's music scene, but I like some current artists, I will occasionally hear something that production-wise could have fit the 80s very well. So, you know, I mean, we'll get into press to play, and that's where a lot of people criticize Paul, because he tried very hard with a few of the songs there with Hugh Padgham to sound very much like what was going on then. But anyway, in wrapping up Pipes of Peace, you know, I still think it was a very strong album, as mm-hmm. you do too. Yeah. Um, no, I love it. Love it. And then there's Give My Regards to Broad Street, which, <laughs> you know, universally was panned as a movie, but I always liked the album. And how about you? The album's got some heights. I, I, I definitely love uh, the idea of Eleanor's dream, like mm. you do Eleanor Rigby and then you do a sequel to that and you extend it. I thought that was very bold, probably bolder than even like re-recording the Beatles songs in the first place. Um, I know everyone else out there loves No More Lonely Nights, but 
for me that is radio dross that I would that I know that I would just I would just skip you know just like nope next I'm much more of a not such a bad boy kind of guy mm. I actually liked the original material on that album like it mm. did hint at like if he wasn't doing this 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 needless vanity project movie in 1984, we, we might have got a, ow, 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 a kind of heavier, not hard, like harder rocking McCartney album mm. than than what we get. I mean, we're gonna get that on Press to Play as well. If you go back and listen to those those session tapes, it's like, wow, McCartney's really going for it here. But for some reason, especially in this decade. Whenever McCartney hits those electric guitar strings a bit too hard, a producer pulls down on the faders and he... Why do we get cool hard rock and Paul in this decade? I don't know mm. why. Uh, it, it would have been nice to have more stuff like No Values out there. For Broad Street in general, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. It's not bad. It's a nice thing to add to your collection. Uh, it's definitely worth listening to and it's nice to compare the original Beatle versions and the ones he did years later. Mm. I don't know why he had to change um, the lyric on here, there and everywhere for no reason. Uh, but, but besides that, it's not, it, it's no more offensive than him doing them live and reinterpreting them live. Like no one, no one gives the um, up close versions where he like, you know, really rearranges those sort of, uh, old Beatles songs, the same kind of jip that they give Broad Street. It's fine, isn't it? <laughs> I can't hate it, but I can't... I've struggled to heap praise upon it, you know? Well, you know, I have to disagree about No More Lonely Nights, because I think that's one of his finest love songs, and not only is it a great song, but Dave Gilmore's guitar work is outstanding, and especially the way that it trails off in the end. It's just so wonderful. It was really masterfully done. But, um, you know, as someone who has liked every, not just McCarty, every solo Beatle album, mm -hmm. all in varying degrees, you know, this would be more at the bottom of my list, yet I still like it. I mean, it's nice to hear Beatle songs being redone if it's a different arrangement. Like, mm -hmm. I, I like what he did with For No One, for example, with, you know, on acoustic guitar with strings. That was nice. I like the um, it was more adult contemporaryish version of the Long and Windy Road. I liked all that. Silly Love Songs is kind of interesting. That very slick production. I don't know if it works all that well for that song, but I, I did like when he went up in key, which was kind of cool in that. But yeah, the highlights for me overall still are the newer compositions, and I would have loved to have seen paul with that band <laughs> you yes. kidding with with dave edmonds and ringo and chris spedding that that was fantastic it's one of the great moments in the film but um and goodnight lonely princess which is easily overlooked um as a bonus track i love it it's it's more proof of how paul can do just about anything and every time i hear that instrumental i i, I feel like i'm watching a lawrence welk tv show you know <laughs> with with uh you know seeing bubbles of champagne on the screen or something. It's, it's, um, it's great. I love the fact that he's so diverse all over the place musically. But still, even with all that I'm saying here, it's still at the, the lower end of McCartney albums for me. And, and I have to say, as much as I enjoy all the albums that Paul made that are, for the most part, covers or redoing songs like the Russian album, 
and Run Devil Run and Kisses on the Bottom mm-hmm. and this. Those are the ones that tend to be on the lower rung for me because mm-hmm. it's not as exciting as all new music, mm-hmm. all original music. I look at them kind of differently. Mm-hmm. Right or wrong, that's how I do it. But I think this is more important in terms of context of perception. Like people did panic when the Beatles didn't get to number one with like Penny Lane, but the fact that Broad Street sunk so low, mm. I think, you know, people might have expected, oh, it could just be mediocre and moderately forgettable or harmless. But since people actively hated it, it's almost like those those critics who had died down since 73, who had, you know, been hibernating, you know, in uh, cocoons, sprung up from the ground like oh we can finally hate on mccartney again <laughs> um you know because it's fun to attack the establishment and he is the establishment at that point he's not he's not you know anti-establishment anymore he is you know he's a rock god at this point and it's fun to take swipes at mccartney and objectively he's continually successful but it's still fun to print that he's unsuccessful and from this moment onwards there's a change in perception you know God has bled, as it were. People have, you know, been, you know, you know, the curtain's been peeled back, and it's just some guy who can mm. sometimes make product that isn't up to scratch. And now there's a a new uh, moving of the barometer, and now the scope for how bad something can be and how badly you can criticize a McCartney work has been opened. It's like before, it's like oh. You know, you know, pass a piece. It's okay, whatever. Now people can say, "Oh, oh my God, it's the worst thing ever!" And he's sold out, <laughs> and he's doing this, and he's doing that, and you know, you it you can't put the horse back in back in the stable now, can you? It's bolted. I Interesting. That's where the change happens. Hmm. Because it's I, a film. I, it, it, it's a film as well, and it was publicised, and there was a premiere, and there was. You know, it's all in club sandwich and stuff. It's, you know, he, he is more than just a guy who puts out music. And a lot of that is down to his popularity as well. You can't well, ignore that. The backlash for the album was a result of the, the criticism of the film, mm-hmm. really. And also, what do you have to go by as far as new music? You have just a few new songs on the album anyway. So, but um, right around the same time, if you went to the movie theater, right before... Give my regards to Broad Street, you would have seen Rupert the Bear, the animated short with We All Stand Together, which was a number two hit in the UK. So it was really huge there, partly due to the fact that, you know, the character came from there. But um, <laughs> I don't, I, <laughs> I'm wondering what your, based on your reaction there is, you know, I think We All Stand Together was brilliant. So perfect for an animated film for children. Honestly, whenever I tell people in the UK that I do a Paul McCartney podcast, they'll say, oh, you mean the frog song guy? And I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> no, I don't mean him. Well, I do, I do mean him, but I don't mean that guy. I mean the Check My Machine secret friend guy. That's who I do a podcast about. The Rupert the Bear project is such an enigma, isn't it? I, I can still imagine it being uh, realised within his lifetime. If 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 the up in the clouds thing goes well with Netflix, they'll throw a couple of mil at him to get sunshine sometime out, out of the old drawer. Oh well, there's a whole soundtrack that he made for Rupert. Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, we 
Oh, and if 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 we have old man Paul reading a Rupert the Bear book in a leather chair and he narrates the whole story, <laughs> come on, it's it, it's printed money, isn't it? Let's let's do it, Netflix. Yeah, I don't like the frog song at all. <laughs> uh, I never I never have. I never will. Uh, it's just you know how like um for for example like Yellow Submarine or All Together Now, that's four children but in a kind of Pixar way where mum and dad can enjoy Woody and Buzz's adventures as well. Whereas I feel like the, the, the frog song is purely for the kids. It's like the Angry Birds movie of Paul McCartney songs, you know? What's wrong if it's purely for the kids? I mean, I do think... Because I'm a more cynical as... old git, <laughs> that's why, Ken. Cynical, but not old. Yeah, I feel it. <laughs> feel it. No, but I, when I hear we all stand together, I think of like Jungle Book or something from a Disney movie. It just works so well in that context. Oh. <laughs> hey, the Rainbow Connection was big. Oh, like, I love Mary Had a Little Lamb, but I can't yeah. get past the frog song. It, I, there's, the, the, it's just me. It's not you. It's not the song. It's me. Okay, well, whatever. A lot of people make fun of it, but I just think it's just and another they, example. And so they should. So they should. <laughs> another example of Paul mastering whatever he's working on, whatever genre it is. This is so, the image again, though. You know, he's just done. You know, I'm going to do this movie that where for about 20 minutes I'm this royal 18th century fop. You know, going, ooh, ooh. <laughs> and uh, you know, I open the movie in the back of my chauffeured car, my Rolls Royce. Uh, and I'm also going to do this 15-minute kids short animated thing at, at the start. I just I feel like the, his management in Capital and MPL these days would be like, you can do a kids book on the side, mm. not putting that in your movie pool. You're going to look cool. You're going to look hip. You're going to you're going to have a bomber jacket on and a leather jacket, and you're going to have some sunglasses on a motorbike. Something like that, whereas he's just being presented here as kind of a wet blanket. And around this time, we're going to get singles like Once Upon a Long Ago. And I'm like, oh, this is the McCartney that I find quite interminable. And I think it's the worst representation of him. And I, I want him to be cool. I want, to, I want to be able to present him to my even more cynical friends and be like, guys, let's listen to this. It's actually quite good. And they're like, Nah, he's the frog song guy, right? <laughs> so once upon a long ago is interminable, and then the stuff that's on pipes of peace, where he doesn't mind yeah. being Mister Melody guy and more mainstream and not cashing in on the latest trends, all that—that's okay. That's cool to you. That's that's bold. Uh, maybe it's the George Martin connection. You know, maybe he elevates that material somewhat. But I find I find mid '80s Paul, especially like a lot of the singles and stuff and the videos, outside of the albums, to be it not be his best stuff. Hmm. Well, yeah. a lot of what he did with Phil Ramone, I think, was really strong. But Once Upon a Long Ago had Phil Ramone and George Martin was involved. Yes, uh, the uh, the unreleased album is better than a lot of his, you know, released material. I mean, the Return to Pepperland sessions have produced some of my favourite McCartney stuff. It's crazy how he was able to kill his darlings in that period. Like, he just walked away from it. 
He walked away from the song, Return to Pepperland. That's a that's a number three in in Germany. Easy, come on. Oh. There is money to be to be made there. We've discussed how obviously George's When We Was Fab probably would have put the kibosh on that. I but, think that's what happened, and it's yeah. a shame. Ironic how they both came up with the similar idea. Oh yeah, you know, with the twentieth anniversary of Sergeant Pepper and all. It would have been great if like Ringo had a sequel to Octopus's Garden or something as well around, around that time. <laughs> but before we go into Phil Ramone there, yeah, yeah. Um, well, Phil Ramone's involved with Spies Like Us. And then also we got um, Press to Play. But Spies Like Us, were you a, a fan of that song? Don't know why everyone hates that one. Not a clue. Uh, it's, it's like, uh, it's biker like an icon in terms of like me loving it with, with a certain schadenfreude. Like, oh, I love loving this and I love how much everyone hates it whilst I love it. Ooh, ooh, what do you do? It's so goofy. I love it. Oh, it's, well, that's uh, what people make fun of are those lyrics in particular, that he could have worked harder on the lyrics. Yeah, and, they, and you know, shoulda, woulda, coulda, he didn't. It is what it is. Oh, I yeah. actually enjoy it for what it is. I mean, Paul doesn't have to be serious 100% of the time. It's for spies like us, <laughs> a, a Chevy yeah. Chase and... Uh, Dan Aykroyd. Dan Aykroyd, there we go. <laughs> Dan, a- Dan Aykroyd movie, you know. He's not going to write Let It Be for that, you know? Mm. And any excuse to get my carnival out there as well, except the, 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 the weird party mix on the 12-inch we're not going to talk about. Mm-hmm. Actually, this is the decade of McCartney remixes as well and McCartney 12-inches, um, which is actually quite interesting, actually. We get that a lot on, on our Press to Play. There's like 72,000 versions of Pretty <laughs> Little Head out there, I believe. Uh-huh. Press only thirty six thousand, to be fair, but um, yeah, uh, this this is the decade of McCartney going out there to different DJs and producers and saying, "Do with it what you will." You know, mm. here's here's some of my latest material. Put it in the clubs for the kids, as it were. I'm down. I'm hip. <laughs> and I think I, I I just think it works for what it's for what it's worth. Um, all these what the remixes. Uh, I, th- I think they're really interesting. I'd love to do a top 10 McCartney remixes episode on my show at some point. Well, you know, that's that's one avenue there that I haven't listened to heavily are all those remixes. Mm-hmm. Because when you're dealing with some that are slightly different from other ones, it's like you're really going to notice the difference. And um, I know some people prefer, like in the case of Pretty Little Head, where Paul's vocals are right mm-hmm. there in the mix and they're not buried or equal with everything else. You know, all the background vocals, they prefer that. But I'm so used to the album version, you know, mm-hmm. press to play that I, I still prefer that. But um, but with Spies Like Us, I loved it. And I still love it. And I wish he'd do it live. And um, I love the whole vibe of the whole song and the heavy drums, especially in the middle. And that mm-hmm. sneaky part and the bass line, you know, right in the middle of the song, which really, you know, helps the song build, I think. And then the screaming at the end, you know. I still love it, but there, it's that's a very that's a song that people are very mixed about. So yeah, no, but they treat it like it's P.S. Love Me Do or something. Mm. Like it, this, this is a, a very harmless single that I don't think tarnishes reputation or anything. Mm. I think the most controversial thing about this song is the fact that uh, the BBC wasn't allowed to show the music video because it shows 
people who aren't performing on the song performing in the music video, like a weird British law. Okay. But yeah. it's, it spies like us, get over it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's fun, it's cool. It, it sold enough, you know. I don't think it was expected to be a runaway hit number one or anything like that. It could have done a little bit better and snuck up a bit, a, a, a bit further up there. But I think it was a nice little first project for uh, Padgham and Co. Mm. Went to number seven in the U.S. So it's the last single with just Paul McCartney's name on it to go top ten. Until uh-huh. more recently, Kanye West and Rihanna. So and that was really now the last top ten hit that uh, Paul has had. That's 2015, I think. So, um, so let's talk about Press to Play. It's, it is the, the start, I really feel, of this polarization between fans, mm. McCartney fans, where when McCartney tries to sound contemporary with a hot producer of the time, there's a lot of older fans that resist it. Mm-hmm. You know, the people that were brought up on the Beatles and Wings and, and the 70s sound and were used to that. Now, let's face it, there are a lot of changes that happened in music, especially in the second half of the 70s with disco and new wave and punk. And a lot of fans who grew up on 60s and 70s music either didn't care for that, mm-hmm. didn't want to explore that at all, or maybe they went in one of the directions. Maybe they liked new wave and they didn't like the others. But... I have to admit, I was on the air on the radio in New Jersey doing my show when Press to Play came out, and I never got any bad reaction from it over the phones from fans. I never mm. sensed any, <laughs> any hatred towards this album. And now, all these years later, there's so many fans that don't like the synthesizers and the heavy drums, which, you know, truthfully... It, Pretty Little Head and Talk More Talk are, are the biggest examples of that. And there are times in those heavy drums, like on However Absurd, for example. But I never felt like this was an album that was drenched in the 80s sound. But McCartney can mix experimental stuff with his traditional stuff, which mm. he does on, on Press to Play. Traditional being more Footprints and Only Love Remains, those mm. songs, or Move Over Busker. You know, and um, I must say with Press to Play that those three bonus tracks on the CD made a world of difference for me because the outstanding songs, especially Tough on a Tightrope. But I liked all the songwriting with Eric Stewart, too. What are your general feelings about Press to Play? Well, again, a lot of this comes down to your doing, but uh, yeah. That's fine. (laughs) Press to Play is amazing. It's one one of my most played vinyls. I love putting it on. I think the track listing's backwards. Side two should be side one and side one should be side two. And it, I feel like it actually plays better in that, in that order. Um, I think the biggest issue with the album is that it's made up entirely of growers, not showers. And, you know, they aren't all instantly hits. And normally McCartney's one of the most instantly satisfying artists out there. Mm. And, it's like normally it's one or two songs an album. It's like, oh, give it a few years. I feel like this is a, a, a whole album of give it a few years, which is quite ironic since we talk about the whole attempt at sounding contemporary. Mm. But, you know, you, you give the album a few spins and suddenly it, it clicks and it's like one of those optical illusions. Once you see the trick, you can't unsee it. And now you, you appreciate Press to Play for what it is. 
also once you do all the backstory like deep dive you realize that it could have been probably been a whole lot worse and you appreciate it even more for what it is but just taking the songs completely out of context footprints is one of his best songs quite clearly that's a fantastic mm. collab collaboration between him and eric stewart pretty little head and talk more talk and press comprise what i call the subversive uh kind of dark edge of the album like you know mccartney 2 is a very surface level mad professor mccartney but after you know things like you know footprints and angry and move over with busker and the stranglehold you do have these incredibly esoteric borderline psychedelic industrial sounding tracks yeah you know weird weird tape loops and some of it's very schizophrenic and i feel there's a lot more going on on press to play than anyone gives it any credit for especially with those three songs pretty little head talk more talk and press mm. they are real symphonies of weird yeah i should have added press when i mentioned uh talk more talk and pretty little head mm. having that 80 sound to it which as i also said i still still think sounds contemporary anyway Mm. When I hear this stuff, I don't say it screams the 80s. Mm. It sounds like something that could have come out yesterday, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and I think the idea of the uh, the uh, quest for a producer conversely proves that all of the young, hip talent, they will work with McCartney at the drop of a hat. So it's not mm. like he's unpopular with people in the industry at all. He's still a, a hot commodity there. People still want to cut their teeth with Paul and make a name for themselves that way, even if it's entirely cynical and, you know, for a self-promotion, but it proves that Paul is still hot enough in that regard. Mm. Also, the new songwriter, I think that's an incredibly exciting thing for McCartney to be doing in this period. Yeah. Again, he's now going to be compared to both Denny Lane and John Lennon on top of that now, but we've both mentioned before, um, <clears throat> sadly, it will probably come at the cost of Flowers in the Dirt, but, uh, you know, Press to Play Part 2, the Eric Stewart Part 2 project, that's one of the greatest what-ifs in the whole catalogue, isn't it? Yeah. Well, Eric Stewart kind of took off where Denny Lane left off. And it would have been interesting had they continued, Paul and Eric Stewart. I love the two of them as collaborators. And don't get me wrong, I love Elvis Costello too. Mm. But um, it really is sad what happened with Press to Play ultimately. I mean, I, uh, like I said, I have seen more respect growing for this album but at the same time you listen to what the two key players in this album eric stewart and Hugh padgham had to say about press to play and what a mess <laughs> this album was because eric stewart was supposed to be the producer originally and for whatever reason paul changed his mind and Hugh padgham took over as a producer and that deeply upset eric understandably especially writing a lot of material with Paul. And, I mean, Eric said that he hated the production on Press to Play. He didn't like what the songs became. And Hugh Padgham has said that he didn't like the material. <laughs> so they both disliked the album for different reasons. And Paul dismisses the album today. I'm kind of curious to find that if there will be, and mm. there definitely should be, an archival release box set for this. Because Paul, I think, unfortunately, as much as I love him, I think he takes a look at record sales and he judges how good his records are based on that or how high it charts. And um, like he has at times kind of dissed back to the egg. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing with Press to Play. 
He even said um, when he toured in 1989, he didn't want to go out with a crummy album. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a dig at Press to Play right there. So, you know, it's a shame that the single Press didn't take off the way that it should have. It only made, I believe, 21 on the charts here in the U.S. But um, Only Love Remains was a, a top 10 adult contemporary hit here. And that's, that's one of the greatest love songs he's ever written, as far as I'm concerned. So um, the moment you start selling material on the adult contemporary chart, though, children and teenagers and young adults, you know, they're fickle. They're just going to go, no, that's that, that's for them now. That's that's not for us. Uh-huh. And a lot of the time, any attempt to cross bridges and break into new demo- demographics is always met with hostility and uh <laughs> you know um people pe- people just get defensive about you know like all liking the same thing i guess you know and the idea that paul is uh trying to appeal to cross generations now is is something that's going to be in- increasingly difficult for him like in in 62 he was just appealing to screaming fans then he was appealing to everyone of that age then he, you know by the end of the 60s he's appealing to pretty much everyone and then on top of that now 10 years 20 years there's been a lot of people born and a lot of people have grown up and they don't have all of that context and that baggage you know they're like me but they're living through a different part of his career and he's got to appeal to them as well people might be genuinely expecting too much of Paul at this point. I don't think it can be done. You can't do the Beatles twice. You can't, you can't do Wings twice. And yet, because he did it once, we assume he can do it again and we judge him by those same standards. And because of that, well, it, make, it makes this album appear to look worse. But if this was someone's debut album, it would be such an interesting release, wouldn't it? It'd be a great way to start off. <laughs> yeah. But um, I wouldn't say he did it once. I mean, he, he was able to win young fans in the 70s. Entirely. There is that quote. There is that quote. It's like, you know, some, some people are just Wings fans and like, they don't even know about the Beatles. I'm like, and it's mm. true. No, it's true. Didn't know, didn't know about the Beatles. Yes. Yes. And I, the reason I'm, why I'm saying that is because throughout the 70s, all four Beatles had hits on the top 40 charts. And on Top 40 Radio, you're appealing to little kids up through people in their 20s and 30s. And some of them were aware of the Beatles. Some of them were little kids that didn't know that Paul was in a band before Wings. It is true. It is possible. Yes. (laughs) I know that it seems so hard to believe, but they were able to win new fans, all four of them. Paul Mm -hmm. the most but it is possible that a five-year-old heard Photograph for the first time and didn't know a thing about Ringo and wanted to buy it. It is possible that a five-year-old heard Whatever Gets You Through the Night. Well, and maybe okay. liked it because of Elton John. Too. You're, you're, you're a radio man, Ken, right? Yeah. It comes down to the fact that by the time we're coming up to the mid to late 80s, even people in the industry, people who own radio stations, work in radio stations, work mm. in TV, work in MTV, themselves are now no longer Paul McCartney fans. Whereas in the 70s, kids who were growing up in the 60s would then go on to be the hosts of media then, and they will gladly host Paul. One generation on from that, 
there's not that you know oh there's 10 disc jockeys that will gladly play paul's new single you know they are just the next generation of fan and a lot of that might be why it it, it didn't get the play you know mm. but no matter what when you're talking about sales which is what we're talking about here Part of the reason why the Beatles had the success that they did as solo artists in the 70s and to some degree in the 80s was because they were able to win young fans that didn't really know all that much about the Beatles or knew that identity. And it's even more true when you go into the 80s. The kids who bought Got My Mind Set on You didn't know George Harrison was a Beatle. That's mad, yeah. It is possible. I know it's hard to believe, (laughs) but there are plenty of people in this world that where the Beatles are concerned, they were brought up on the solo music first. Oh, that, that, that's a very good example with I've Got My Mind Set On You. That is such a singular single uh-huh. uh, to kind of be re- uh, repetitive there. It doesn't even sound like it would, it would have come from one of those guys on the black and white TV 20 years ago, you know? Uh-huh. Um, Paul never really had one of them because he is so recognisable. I think it's, you know, when he does stuff where he's not not recognizable like the fireman he doesn't seem to get launched to number one in the same way but for george to do that yeah that is that is really cool Mm. okay so before we move on to flowers in the dirt there's all this music in between and actually before phil ramon there are a few songs that paul did with david foster and yeah yeah yeah. and again working with the hot producers of the time david foster my god all the success he had with chicago and Earthwind and Fire and Boskags and artists like that. And I love those few songs that he did with David, one of which turned out to be We Got Married, which ended up on Flowers in the Dirt. But, you know, you have all these other songs that he didn't release at the time that might trickle out as a bonus track on a CD single or something mm. or end up on an archival box set. But, I mean, um, I love this house. It was a tremendous song for me. I mean, you like the industrial sound? That's what that was. And and, uh, David Gilmore with some wicked guitar playing again. I wish he'd keep working with David Gilmore, I tell you the truth. And Lindiana, it's another great ballad. So these songs that are just hidden away, Mm -hmm. he doesn't release them. Uh, And if he does, it's much later on. You know, I Love This House was part of the the Ubu Jubu bonus tracks. Mm -hmm. And um, so you got that. And you also got Phil Ramone material and like a whole album's worth of material there, which wasn't released then except for Once Upon a Long Ago and Back on My Feet. So even in times when there are less albums that are released from Paul, it's still not giving you the true picture of everything because there's so much unreleased stuff that he did at the time. It was still a very prolific, very um, fertile time for him with Mm -hmm. all these ideas that came out. So what are your feelings about first David Foster and then Phil Ramone? Um, it's a shame that the David Foster sessions always seem to get roped into the Phil Ramone sessions, especially on like bootlegs and stuff like that. They'll normally be the first four, four songs right at the start. Mm. Um, yeah, I love all of this unreleased stuff, both together and, and separate. I love that We Got Married had such an early beginning. Uh, I always love it when McCartney songs come back later mm. on albums. Fishy Matters Underwater probably being the best example of that. Yep. Um, obviously, Return to Pepperland, though, and the Ramon Sessions. What a flex to be able to, to be able to walk away from that and then to just do Flowers in the Dirt and have even even better material after that. 
you know the show hasn't mm. slowed down it hasn't halted uh, the, the factory's still in full production even if you're not hearing it and I think that's really cool that's really interesting no one gives Paul that you know due there uh, still working with new hip young producers and he like people act like he's being quite frivolous with it. You're like, oh, he's just grabbing whoever he can get and just to get on the radio. No, no, he met with two of them and went, no, that's fine. We'll continue. We'll, you know, he's not this avaricious. I must climb to number one. You know, because if because if he was, he he would have put out more in this time and it would have been worse. I think the the fact that he's trying to cultivate this material and take his time is proof that he's not this chasing the number one frivolous silly love song goon that he's made out to be in this in this period he's actually taken his catalog quite seriously he doesn't want press to play to happen again and that's why flowers is so good um you've even got like some of the home recording stuff at, at this time like squid and big mm. day and stuff so even if he's not with a producer at this time he's still making pretty damn good music and that's so exciting and no one talks about it <laughs> You're going to get a lot of people who will disagree with what you said that, you know, Paul has always been chasing the number one. He's always wanted to be number one. You know, when he released My Brave Face, that had all the qualities of a number one record. You know, same thing with he a lot of the singles. Worse, though. He could be so much worse. And I think that's how people perceive him, the, the, the exaggerated stereotype of that chasing the number one because that's his job his job is to sell records so of course he has to have some part of him that wants to shift the product but he could he could bang out so many lame duck you know cabaret numbers if he wanted to or just sell songs to other people and just become a reclusive you know tin pan alley writer if he wanted to if he really wanted that success but I get from this period that he's actually quite serious about his disc- discography here, and he, and he does want to put something good out. Like you say, from that from that quote when he was touring, he doesn't want to put out another Duff album. And not that Return to Pepperland would have been a Duff album, in my opinion. It probably would have been something very uh, uncohesive. Uh, it's not it's not particularly themed anyway. It hmm. it is just him. You know, it's something like the uh, the piano tape where it's just I've got to get all these songs out of my head, and Good. you know, yeah. you know, like obviously to make flowers in the dirt, he has to flush his mind of Return to Pepperland. That was probably percolating in the back of his mind during the press to play sessions. I'm sure if there was a Nagra reel, you know, 50, you know, fifty six hours long, you would hear him noodling away on half the stuff that appeared on this album, and. He needs to he needs to exercise the demons to get to get to the good stuff, you know. Even if it means getting rid of other good stuff, you know, it's 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 all part of the formula, and it it's worth it in the end. And it's not like he doesn't put it out either, you know. Most of this is available, whether through Ubu Jubu or you know, or a bootleg. But still, it would have been nice if these songs came out when he was recording them <laughs> closer mm. to that time instead of, you know, bonus tracks on Flaming Pie where those songs have nothing to do with Flaming Pie. Weird, isn't it? It <laughs> was strange. Same thing with Flowers in the Dirt. Why are you putting out wing songs like same time next year as bonus tracks and Mama's mm. Little Girl when they have nothing to do with Flowers in the Dirt? But they were laying around and I guess he wanted to give the fans something extra on a CD single. So 
Well, half of this stuff could have been when winter's comed, uh, to, <laughs> use a weird, you know, to use a weird verb there. Uh, you know, half of this stuff could have been like, oh, yeah, I've got this song called Squid and I'm going to open up McCartney 3 with it. That totally could have happened, you know? Uh, I don't know why half this hasn't been brought back yeah. and, and redone. Big Day, you know, big, big, big Day could have replaced Deep Down. I'm sure you would have been happy with that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I'll bet you love Big Day. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> it's, re- it's, re- it's, re- it's repetitive and goes nowhere. I love it. <laughs> so does Check My Machine, you know? And uh, yeah. So it. you love that kind of stuff, which is yeah. only like the title of the song and some kind of riff that he develops and he builds a whole song very repetitively on it. You like that stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I like Fishy Matters Underwater just as much as Frank Sinatra's Party, where he actually adds melody and lyric to that, uh-huh. to that to to that riff um you know i'll listen to dervish crazy moog and reverse and all of that but a totally unpalatable side of mccartney so when mccartney goes weird seems to be when you like him the most at times <laughs> but um how do you feel about like during the phil ramon sessions you got those dance tracks in there like atlantic ocean or love mix you know i think those could have been hit records I really I do. Atlantic Ocean still falls under the remit of weird for me, I guess. Yeah. Love mix. Oh, no, Bit of um, that that falls under the uh, once upon a long ago kind of shtick for me there. That kind of like, eh, just push that to one side, Paul. We don't, you know, you can, you can sing that to Linda at home at the piano, but we don't need to hear that stuff. See, I'm, um, I'm having trouble understanding what you have against once upon a long ago. And yet, you could like um, so bad. No, but so bad though. So bad is almost a parody of that that super gooey side of Paul, and I think it's so shameless that I'm pretty. Uh, I can't resist it. Like it's just it takes it so far. I love the, I love the concept. You know, I love the idea of Paul doing that false that that falsetto. Even even if I didn't like it, I would still appreciate the attempt of something like so bad. So the bolder he is the more you like him. Yeah, like, it, I guess a better way for me, for, for me to categorize this period is it's very middle of the road, a lot of what he's putting out here. Very inoffensive, uh, and, and all of this quite experimental stuff is getting left by the wayside. I mean, Atlantic Ocean, oh, I would have loved that to have come out as a single at this, at this period. Mm. Uh, maybe back it with Love Come Tumbling Down. You've, you've, uh-huh. got, a pretty, you've, yeah. you've got a pretty good seven inch there. Yeah, but press to play as an album, I would hardly consider to be middle of the road, outside of you know footprints and only love remains. No, just more. Again, it's 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 just a few select singles from around this period where it always just seems to be Paul in a long coat, looking wistful on a park bench or on a roof somewhere. It's just a, it's just a particular image of him that I don't find very appealing at all, and I find quite it's like dad era Paul at this point. I think, you know, people have quite an affection for old man Paul, but this is like straight-laced family man Paul. And, you know, I, I don't do marijuana anymore and I don't I don't sing about sex or anything anymore. And I'm not particularly offensive. I'm not going to say give Ireland back to the Irish. And I think that there could be a bit more of that in this, in this period. Uh-huh. Especially okay. when greed is good. <laughs> you love that movie, don't you? <laughs> I love Michael Douglas, man. I love him. Okay. So, also during Phil Ramone, 
behind back on my feet Great. which is such an incredible song i think why that wasn't put on flowers in the dirt i don't know but yeah there's so much that came out of those phil ramone sessions it really is like a, a great lost mccartney album and it's great to have as a bootleg you know mm-hmm. with the uh, pizza and fairy tales which you can easily listen to on youtube and before again before we get into uh flowers in the dirt we also had the russian album in the middle of all we're just going to skip past all the best thank god (laughs) again uncool paul there uncool picture on the front lame little graphics bad bad track listing i agree with lee eastman the idea the idea that it's not the best way to present paul in at this time like oh let's do a greatest hits album after a massive failure that seems like the move of someone who's about to retreat into private hermit life, you know, not someone who's trying to kickstart their, their uh, career again. Mm. That, well, you know, it had been a long time since Wings Greatest. It had been like nine years, I think. So you have to put out a Greatest Hits album, every you know, every, you no, like every decade, there should be some kind of compilation, I think, to keep it all up to date. If all the best came out between flowers and off the ground, I feel like that would that that would be perfect. It would it would just be a stronger record. But then again, that's the back to the egg wings greatest thing. He he always puts out these uh, greatest hits albums one album too early. Mm, okay. Plus, he didn't have anything from uh, Press to Play on All the Best. Didn't have anything from Venus and Mars or Wildlife on Wings Greatest either. You know, he's a uh, Wings Greatest, how it didn't have listened to what the man said is criminal. Number one record. Yeah, you and we'll have two songs that aren't Wings tracks on there because just because Paul thinks that solo early era Paul is Wings. He, I don't get it. I don't he, get it. And Wingspan so, too, you know, it's the same yeah. thing. Yeah, doesn't Wingspan have like Pipes of Peace era material on it? Yeah, well, it has Say, Say, Say. Yeah, yeah. and it has Pipes of Peace on it. Yeah. Again, and No again, More Lonely Nights. It's got low wall only nights on it. Yeah, that. it ends. It ends with that. <laughs> it's got and uh, the playout version too. I guess that kind of works if you're going to herald the end of Wings. But yeah, very very strange track track. But track it's not point. Wings. Yeah, <laughs> the first McCartney album, Ram, McCartney two. Although the live version of coming up was was Wings. What? You weren't in Wings, all right? I was. I get to choose. Tug of War, Pipes of Peace, and Broad Street are not Wings album. But anyway. Yeah, uh, the, the Russian, Russian album. album. Yeah, uh, for me, one of my ideal triple bills for a day listening to music is rock and roll, holidays, and Snavadovicsiar. I I love when these guys go back and you know redo that kind of corny fifties rock and roll sound. I really dig it. It's my shtick. But regardless of you know, oh, it's Paul retreating back to rock and roll because he was so afraid of the critics. These are some of the best recordings of Paul in this period. He sounds great here. The band is awesome. And I just find it so spirited and enlivening whenever I I, I, I put on this album. And not only that, it was a hot commodity because he didn't let you have it. And Mm. suddenly when people were like, you know, still wiping, wiping the blood of press to play from their mouths, they're like, oh, and then there's this Russian covers album that you can't have. Oh, but now we really want it. Now we (laughs) Okay, I guess we're going to pay two hundred dollars. Get it over here. Hmm. You know that's that's not the behaviour of a fan base that detests this guy and think he's not putting out good material. Hmm. You know they are willing 
you know, it's not like the new Ram On album where you get a whole YouTube video of a sample of each song. You've mm. got to spend your 200 black market dollars on something you've got no idea whether it's going to be any good or not. So the fact that they're willing to make that risk proves that these are still passionate fans. But the fans know how much all the Beatles love 50s rock and roll. And in many ways, it just seemed like this was a good way for him to recharge his batteries like it needed to be recharged. (laughs) But uh, yeah, and I love all the recordings on it. But again, it's kind of like Run Devil Run or John's Rock and Roll. I can't put it in the same category as an all original album, all original material. But his vocals are fantastic throughout, you know. It's the good screaming Paul on Kansas City, <clears throat> songs like those. But I'm glad that he did it. I wish he'd do more of that stuff. It, it would be effortless, really, for someone and like him. I love how these sessions were so good. They, they were B-sides uh, for the Flowers in the Dirt stuff. Like One of my favorite just <clears throat> products, like yeah. if I was alive in 89, the My Brave Face 12-inch maxi single I would have snapped that up because not only do you get the A and B side of the My Brave Face release, but then you get I'm Gonna Be a Wheel Someday and Ain't That a Shame. Basically the best two songs from Chobber on the B side. Hmm. What value for money for me that would have been. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Uh, if, if, you know, if Cracking Up was the B side on Figure of Eight, I would have been sorted. I wouldn't have had to buy Chobber. <laughs> but it's really... Um you know, thoroughly a very satisfying album. And I yeah. love the um, the arrangement in particular of Don't Get Around Much Anymore, rocking that song up a bit, mm. you know. And uh, yeah, <laughs> Just Because is a favorite of mine, the Elvis Presley song. Oh, that's the smoking version of that. Yeah. Anyway, got to move on to Flowers in the Dirt. Do you look at this as being, you know, where he found his footing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is this is the other bookmark, isn't it? Um, hmm. You know, you're either someone who says it was bookmarked by McCartney two and Flowers, or you're the guy who says tug of war and Flowers. And I think everyone agrees that this is universally very, very good. Uh, I, you know, you might be split down the middle in terms of the Elvis Costello material. I know that I certainly am not particularly that drawn to it, but. I mean, let's just look at the, you've got the classic McCartney acoustic on here in terms of put it there. You've got great ballads with this one and distractions. And then you've got three really good rockers with My Brave Face, We Got Married and Figure of Eight. Yeah, this album has everything. I mean, if you have the CD and the cassette version, you really do have everything because then you can you get, can you say the title of the song for me? You know, you, you know I can't say Uwe it. Le Ken, thank you, Ken. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to embarrass myself again by trying to say it, especially oh. when I'm not doing the editing and I could stutter halfway through as well. Which I still, cool. I still screw up on Shoba B C C C P. It's really Snova, right? Snova, yeah, yeah. Oh. Just, yeah. <laughs> okay. The thicker and more offensive the accent you do, the more you can cover up the fact that you're not actually saying it correctly. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, this is just peak, you know, McCartney period. Is it the phoenix rising out of the ashes? Again, that's kind of like my, my, my opinion on Tug of War. You think Tug of War might be this huge increase because you didn't like the, the last stuff. But I love the Phil Ramone sessions. I love to press the mm. play. I love Pipes of Peace. So for me, again, it's not this great increase, but I certainly appreciate it for being this very popular album that's full of high-quality Paul McCartney music. And... It, it is a shame that the singles 
really dropped off in terms of um, sales after the first one. Mm. Like, I, w- I can't imagine being one of those Paul McCartney fans in 89. My brave face has just come out and like, oh, he's back, he's back. I can't wait for this next signal to, to get to the top 10 as well. It's like, oh, mm. so close, so close. Yeah. No, my brave face went to 25, I think, in the US. It wasn't a huge hit. Deserved to be so much more. And he made the big mistake of not touring in the US till like six months after the album came out, which was really ridiculous. So um that's the end of the end, that's true, actually. But I wouldn't I say like, that 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 Flowers has, you know, three rockers, because I don't really look at my brave face as a rocker or or we got married, but figure of eight is and it's it's really tame on the album and the live version really rocks I think. oh and oh and the single as well i mean yeah again there's like 80 different versions of the single as well but no real remixes just literally different printed versions uh, uh-huh. i find it hard to say anything bad about flowers in the dirt really i personally don't like the elvis costello stuff like i say but that's my burden to bear and i wouldn't uh, try and skew someone's opinion of the album just based off that it's just a special recording I remember being quite apprehensive, like a lot of the, these 80s albums. I was like, okay, maybe, you know, Flowers in the Dirt is going to be finally the one where I go, okay, this is, might be the point where it starts going downhill. And then you get hit with stuff like distractions. And you're like, this is a master here. You know, yeah. this, you know he's still on top form. And I'm glad some people recognise that in this period. I'm glad the album sold well enough, at least. Where did, where did it get, was it number one here in the UK, was it? It was, no, no. Was it US? I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember. I think in the UK, because he just had a number one with McCartney 3, I think that was his first number one since Broad Street, I think. In the US, it only went to 21. <laughs> 21? That's Can pathetic. You, That's so yes. annoying. Oh, yeah. my gosh. That's not good enough at all. Uh, you well, can, he didn't coordinate yeah, you, the tour with it. You know, that, that, I think that really hurt. Uh, Should have been at the same time. Uh, UK albums chart number one, yeah. So, so Flowers did? Yeah. Okay, so, good. Okay. Yeah, uh, glad to see he was doing well over over here at least. Mm. Uh, I dread to think what was number one in the US at the time. I'm sure it's something that would, uh, would be terribly embarrassing. But, uh, <laughs> it always is. It always is whenever... Whenever, whenever I check. Hmm. But um, yeah, uh, obviously, We Got Married is also on this album as well. Dave, Dave, Dave Gilmore comes back. Kind of an yeah. unsung hero of this period we've, uh, we've really? touched on. Yeah. And later with Run, Double Run. But yeah, Flowers in the Dirt for me is my favorite album from him because it's got so many different styles, which is probably, you know, one of the biggest reasons why I admire the man at the risk of sounding repetitive. But, you know, there's so many, so many ty- types of music that he masters in his career, and there's quite a lot of it on here. You know, the acoustic stuff, like I put it there, pure pop, like My Brave Face. That Day Is Done really has a very gospel feel to it, as far as I'm concerned. Don't Be Careless Love is very quirky. I don't even know how you categorize that. Uwe Le Soleil, a dance track. You got We Got Married, which has a sort of that Spanish guitar vibe to it. But then it also mixes jazz in the song as well. You know, you can't find a much more perfect pop song. Well, My Brave Face is one of them, but this one is definitely one of the best Mm -hmm. songs, I think, uh, of his solo career. So, you know, 
all across the board, this is such a solid album. And for me, and I can only say my opinions here, everybody's entitled to their own. When I think about the 80s and McCartney, you have three truly great albums that came out. And to me, those are Tug of War, Press to Play, and Flowers in the Dirt. You can make the same argument in the 70s if you want to. And there's plenty of people that prefer the 70s McCartney and the Wings days over later. And everyone's entitled to their own opinion. But like you had said earlier, I think I kind of like Paul more on his own because he experiments more and does more what he feels is right for him and doesn't have to think about other members of the band at the same time and how to use them in the band and should they get songs of their own and you know how much should they contribute overall to the to the full picture of what a wings album is and yet i love the whole wings period too i like having all of these choices that's the you know tremendous thing about mccartney's catalog there's so many albums that he recorded you know you know with a band like wings um there's albums where he played most of the instruments or all the instruments there's albums he recorded in a couple of weeks there's albums that took years you know so you can pick and choose what you think works best for him and he's worked with a lot of different producers and then he's done a lot of albums that he produced himself so there's so many debates to have <laughs> that diversity is so unique though because like you get loads of bands where it's like oh on their third album they did a scar song and then on their seventh album they they did a rap track, but we put uh-huh. every album he does about eight different genres, just because he wants to, just because he wants to give it to give it a shot, and uh-huh. that's so admirable. That's 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 risking, you know. I mean, uh, he could have put out Band on the Run parts two, three, four, five, and six so exactly. easily, and the fact that he hasn't done that, and the the fact that he has resisted that and not become you know, McCartney, ACDC, as it were, hmm. is something that, again, not given enough credit for the fact that he, he's Paul McCartney. He could just sell out with Beatle nostalgia if he wanted to. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could say that's what Egypt Station is, but he doesn't do it every album and he does different stuff all the time. And, you know, the idea of doing all the, all of this stuff at the same time is only going to get worse in the 90s. We're going to start getting... You know, the dance stuff, we're going to start getting the uh, orchestral movements as well. Mm. He's only going to get worse at this, folks. He's only going to start doing more and more. He's, gonna, he's, he's like a shark. He can't stop. He'll mm. die if he stops. Well, worse in terms of being able to market himself, maybe. I think that, you know, an artist who's all over the place musically has a tougher time yeah, defining who he is, you know. Yeah. He went over to the States and they're like, what are you? And it's like, poor <laughs> What are you going to do? I mean, so like McCartney Three. I I don't know where in the UK I would have heard that on the radio. I don't know, like because outside of like maybe like Radio Three or Radio mm. Two, which caters to the older market, I don't know where I would actually hear those songs. And you know, for all the benefits of Flowers in the Dirt and how good the album is, this is the official kind of beginning of the end in terms of his radio play which is a shame, really. Well, you know, the way that radio works is that the older that an artist gets, the less they're going to be played to a younger audience. And what that normally means is you'll have less sales of your albums and your singles won't go anywhere, really. And that happens to every single artist. That's just the way that radio operates. 
And, you know, so many times I've said, boy, if this song was released in the 70s, it would have been a hit. That's Mm -hmm. because the solo Beatles were played in the 70s. That was radio's choice to play them back then. But every single artist, every veteran, and Elton John and, and Eric Clapton, Rod Stewart, all these icons, you know, they're not going to get the airplay that they once did because that's how radio is. I mean, the top 40, which I referenced before, you know, has a young audience and they make up the record buying public, most mm-hmm. of the record buying public. And if you're not being played to them, then what chance does an artist have to do well other than a high debut and then it tanks, which is what mm-hmm. happens with, you know, all of McCartney's stuff, you know, and, I've said this in my podcast shows. I mean, you look at Bob Dylan, I think his album went to number two and it was off the charts in four weeks. Same thing with McCartney, same thing Mm -hmm. with the who, you know, they're not going to be played to young people. So the more hardcore fans go out and buy it Mm -hmm. and plenty of the McCartney fans buy all the collectible stuff that helps it to, to chart high. Plus, you know, he's also catering to those people too. Huh? If he'd done that on flowers, that would have been, amazing he probably would have got up to the top 10 in the states if he'd if he'd have done that you know an, an orange an orange flowers in the dirt come on that yeah, sells well, itself he didn't do that in those days but he did release a lot of cd singles and bonus tracks and stuff mm. like that especially with off the ground and... mini discs with flowers what's a mini disc folks <laughs> that's true yeah remember that that was for figure of eight right the real small yeah. um, cd single well, just go back to what you were saying, though, about, about radio as well. I, I, I feel like Paul would have done so much better in this period had he had the advances of he has in the modern day, like a Twitter account and an Instagram and a YouTube following. Mm. Uh, you know, he didn't, he didn't have access to all of that in those days. And if you weren't reading, you know, Club Sandwich, where else were you getting your McCartney news from? The internet? No. Beatles Monthly, Beatle Fan Magazine, the fanzines, all that, mm. you know, Good Day Sunshine. There were plenty of those. That's what I had to rely on in the very beginning, in the old days. <laughs> People are spoiled now when it comes to news. It's just instant. So, mm-hmm. you know, overall with the 80s, do you, do you find it the most interesting of all of his decades or is it all pretty balanced for you? Okay, obviously in context, I'm going through it chronologically. So whatever I come across is always the most in- interesting thing. <laughs> You know, Paul, what's about, like, well, you know, whatever I'm doing now is the most interesting thing. Like, mm. it, there is that certain element of it. And I've always said, Old Brown Shoes still one of, one of the most exciting Beatles songs for me, just because it's the last Beatles song I ever heard. Uh, and, we, you know, we spoke off, off camera earlier about uh, Band on the Run fatigue. So, you know, mm. stuff like that does exist. But not that I'm looking to throw the 90s under the bus or anything, but I feel like, Maybe people have misjudged the troubled decade of Paul here, and maybe people should be looking elsewhere because the 80s is a, an incredibly fascinating period for any McCartney fan. The words you used earlier, um, prolific and fertile, you know, this, mm. you know he's, he's putting out like Rishi Kesh levels of new material here mm. consistently in this decade. And if it, if it, if it was now, he would be, you know, and he was about 40. He would just be this Clooney-esque aging figure. You know, oh, he's going a bit silver. He's the master who's perfecting his craft, not, oh, he's 40 years old, he must be. Because <laughs> there weren't 40-year-old rock stars back then. So, again, he's a victim of how 
pioneering he is in being him. And it's just a very, I'm, I'm going to sound so biased here, it's a misunderstood decade, it really is. And if you meet it halfway, if you gauge your expectations correctly and know what you're in for, you're going to find so much excellent music, you really are. Mm, that's very well said. You know, if all that I did was look at the albums that he put out in the 80s, I would have been happy with that. But once you explore all the other stuff that didn't come out or came out later, and we didn't even hit on one of, one of the greatest songs I think Paul ever wrote for another artist was On the Wings of a Nightingale. And that was in 1984 for the Everly Brothers. That says something else that he wrote in the decade. In addition to all this, one of my favorite songs that ended up being a bonus track is, is the ballad, Same Love, which mm. based on your comments, I would think maybe <laughs> if you didn't like Once Upon a Long Ago, you might not be crazy about Same Love, but that would have been a massive hit in the 70s, I believe. Mm. Very well done. And that just wasn't even released at all when he first recorded it. Had to end up as a bonus track uh, during the Flaming Pie uh, singles. So you add all this other stuff that he did, which wasn't released or came out later. And it's remarkable, all the stuff that he's done. And it's a combination of, you know, more, more, uh, it's, it's a combination of the, the traditional things that are not going to shock you about him. And then all the stuff where he experiments, which I find really interesting now more than ever, you know, I would kill for an album of talk more talks from Paul oh. McCartney or, or pretty little heads, those songs. Mm. And um, Which you just can to, do, you don't need to sing to do those albums. You don't need to scream. Like mm. he could do it. You no, know, I'm not saying fireman, just instrumental, crazy professor McCartney. I'd buy that next album. Mm. But I'd still prefer if they weren't all instrumentals, but yeah, I think it's a remarkable decade and one that's worth reassessing. And I definitely so am not book about it. There's no fucking, there's no, <laughs> there's no flipping books about the eighties. A uh, Tom Doyle has an excellent book, Paul McCartney, man on the run in the seventies. And it's like, uh -huh. and then someone wrote another book about the eighties, right? No, no. And then you get to like, you know, fab an intimate life of Paul McCartney section on the sixties section on the seventies section on the eighties and I think the nineties is like a post-it note on the back on the back uh -huh. or, something, or something like that you know and it's annoying because we and this is something we've mentioned before as well all these people are still alive interview them talk to them let's let let's get all these people on and get their stories out you know let's yeah. find out about 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 this flipping decade <laughs> and um you know here on this show we can talk about anything we want to Beatles or solo don't be surprised if we bring this up again with different points of view. It's always important to hear, you know, different opinions, whether you agree with them or not. But I would definitely suggest if you haven't listened to a lot of this 80s stuff, give it a, give it a chance. Don't listen to an album once and then, you know, make a judgment call on it. Listen to it many times over. You might be pleasantly surprised at what you're hearing. And, um, you know, like I said, Tug of War, Press to Play, and Flowers in the Dirt are three of the greatest of Paul's albums. And you might like the ones in the middle. <laughs> you know, you might like Pipes of Peace. You might like Broad Street, McCartney too. 
the Russian album, whatever, but, uh, and definitely explore the Phil Ramone stuff and David Foster. So you put all that together. It was a pretty interesting, pretty interesting decade from Paul. Worth exploring. It wasn't rubbish. It wasn't not filled with hits. It wasn't uh, lacking in hits, lacking in albums, lacking in effort. I mean, we haven't discussed about like he was at the forefront of like, the music video industry in this in this period as well. Mm. He's doing so much. <laughs> he made a lot of videos. Although yeah. you look back on it, when the Pipes of Peace box set came out, he was talking about how. He didn't. He wasn't really in love with making videos all the time. That maybe MTV became way too important, mm-hmm. and the videos were more important than the music, which is an interesting way of looking at it. And um, there are a lot of people that associate songs with the videos. And mm-hmm. in a way, I kind of feel like the music is a separate thing and should always be viewed as a separate thing. But it's kind of hard when certain videos are just drilled into your brain all these years. You know, I can't think of Say, Say, Say without the video. I was literally going to say, of... it's Michael Jackson's fault. Thriller, <laughs> Bad, um, uh, what was the other one? Beat It. You know, they are too oh, iconic yeah. for their own good. They really are. I can't think of When We Was Fab without the video. So <laughs> With that, with the extra arm coming out of his coat. So. Oh, that's, yeah. It's a lot of <laughs> ni- nice tricks in that video. But yeah. But if you can, folks, please uh, take the time, if you haven't already, to listen to this 80s stuff from Paul, because he was still putting out tremendous stuff. He still is today. And here on this channel, we'll be talking about all the solo Beatle music and the Beatles, too. And so, Sam, thanks for joining me here. We'll do this again, I'm sure, soon. Um, Your podcast show, we're going to put up uh, links for people. They want to check out your show if they haven't done so yet and thanks to all of you for joining me if you can by the way if you love the interviews that um that i do here on this channel on my website there are tons of interviews that you might not have heard but they're all audio interviews and if you can please check out the website at kenmichaelsradio.com very easy to remember video channels ken michaels radio websites kenmichaelsradio.com And thanks to all of you for watching, and I'll see you all very soon. Take care. See you next time.